This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Dan Savage, The Colbert Report, NPR, The David Pakman Show, The Young Turks, and The Onion News Network with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Daily Show. Supreme Court in California declared gay marriage a constitutional right. The voters went to the ballot boxes and by a relatively slim margin banned same-sex marriage in California. There was a trial. A judge ruled that the ban was unconstitutional, overturned the decision, legalized same-sex marriage that's being appealed, so it's on hold. And so the appeal was a couple weeks ago. And there's an interesting thing that was said by the uh, attorney defending Prop 8, defending the ban on same-sex marriage in California and all over the world, because he's been, you know, defending the theory of it. So it's not just for California that same-sex marriage is evil and bad and needs to be banned, but of course, all throughout the known universe. Anyway, Charles Cooper is the attorney, and he argued, and I'm going to quote from an NPR story here, that same-sex couples can be treated differently when it comes to marriage without running afoul of the Constitution, because, quoting Charles Cooper now, sexual relationships between men and women naturally produce children. Unless, of course, the man's fucking her in the ass, but we're going to leave that alone for now. And then he went on, society has no particular interest in a platonic relationship between a man and a woman, no matter how close it might be, or emotional relationships between other people, that would be the queers as well, but when the relationship becomes a sexual one between a man and a woman, society has a considerable interest in that. Its vital interests are actually threatened by the possibility of an unintentional and unwanted pregnancy. That's why marriage exists, because when you rub two straight people together, you just might make a baby. It's not about love. It's not about commitment. It's not about spending your life together. It's not about changing each other's diapers when you're 90. It's not about all that other shit. It's about procreation. It's about kids. Only when gay people want to get married, because, you know, the infertile can marry, serial killer locked up for life. He can legally marry someone he's never going to be alone with, for, probably for her own good, in, in, a, in a room together. Uh, the infertile can marry. People who already have kids can divorce and remarry. And it just occurs to me, you know, if the state's vital interests are threatened when unmarried heterosexuals experience an unintentional and unwanted pregnancy, why isn't it illegal for unmarried heterosexuals to get pregnant? How does banning same-sex marriage impact heterosexual irresponsibility or heterosexual sex at all? Why aren't unmarried heterosexuals who get pregnant legally compelled to marry? Why aren't there penalties, fines, prison terms, court supervision for unmarried heterosexuals who get pregnant and then refuse to marry? You know, but backing up for just a second, the lawyer, Cooper, he didn't say that an unintentional pregnancy is a threat. He said the mere possibility of an unintentional pregnancy represents a threat that creates a compelling state interest for the state to get involved. So it really should be illegal for unmarried heterosexuals to have sex at all because an unintended pregnancy is always a potential threat. Denying marriage rights to same-sex couples really does nothing to diminish the awesome existential threat that is rampant, promiscuous, premarital heterosexual activity. We don't need to ban same-sex marriage to deal with this threat. We need to ban straight premarital sex. And you know what? Eventually, that's what they're going to want to do, because they are the Taliban. Eventually, they are going to want to brick up your vagina and tell you 
when you're legally allowed to knock that wall down, tear down this wall, and have sex. I think I speak for all gay people everywhere, and I say I'm kind of sick of being punished for the sins of irresponsible heterosexuals everywhere. If the problem that marriage was designed allegedly, supposedly, this is just a desperate 11th hour argument that they're throwing out there because they're running out of justifications for this kind of discrimination. They're just throwing this out there. Oh, yeah, straight people. Straight people suck. That's why marriage has to be reserved for straight people because we we suck because we have babies by accident because we're irresponsible because... Because, 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 because of the unwonderful things we do, straight people. That's the argument. I don't know. I don't know how this is a pro-straight, pro-family argument. If the only argument for the discriminatory institution of marriage, for banning gay people, is that straight people are so irresponsible and untrustworthy and such fucking jerks that marriage needs to be reserved for them exclusively. hubbub of the holidays, sometimes you lose track of what's really important, being mad at gay people. <laughs> well, last week, I had another opportunity to be enraged because Prop 8, the California ban on same-sex marriage, which was ruled unconstitutional last summer, was challenged in federal court. And this time, the gayvolution was televised. <laughs> now, TV cameras in federal court is rare. No one likes to see how the sausage is not allowed to marry other sausage. <laughs> Fighting for gay marriage, you got a surprising duo, David Boyes and Ted Olson, who are the opposing lawyers in Bush v. Gore. Evidently, gay marriage makes for strange bedfellows. <laughs> not that I'm saying that they're bedfellows. I'm just saying that these lawyers seem to enjoy each other's briefs. <laughs> And, I know, please. And on the other side, the people against gay marriage have a problem, as Jeffrey Tubin explains from his undisclosed location. The usual defendants when you challenge a law of a state are the governor and the attorney general of that state. But the governor and attorney general of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jerry Brown, both agree with the plaintiffs that Proposition 8 is unconstitutional. What? <laughs> Gay marriage is a sin, but a Republican agreeing with a Democrat? That is an abomination. <laughs> and since frickin' frack over here wouldn't appeal it, someone else had to step up to fight for Americans' constitutional right to take away other Americans' constitutional rights. <laughs> the website protectmarriage.com, an organization dedicated to fighting for traditional marriage by funding what their website calls academic research, which demonstrates what we already know. <laughs> I say studies that demonstrate what you already know are the best kind of research. <laughs> That's why I commissioned the groundbreaking study, Spanish, can I speak it? 
The answer, yet. Now, tragically, the appeals court may dismiss protectmarriage.com's appeal based on a legal principle called standing, explained here by David Boyce. In order to have an ability to invoke the jurisdiction of this court, the appellants here must have a personal, concrete, particularized injury, and they don't. That is ridiculous. <laughs> Overturning Prop 8 would injure every straight person. If it's okay to marry a man, why wouldn't all men do it? <laughs> a, men know what men like. And B, it would split up some of the pickle jar opening. So clearly, I'm exhausted. Clearly, Prop 8 will eventually end up before the Supreme Court. But before it does that, ladies and gentlemen, it has to appear before a higher authority, me. Here to present his case is one of the renowned but deeply misguided lawyers arguing for gay marriage, David Boyce. David, thank you so much for coming on. Now, David. Why won't, why won't Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jerry Brown appeal this decision? Because the decision below was completely correct. It was 100% right. And they see they have no chance to win on appeal. No, no, you, you, I, I understand why you're doing this. Because you're a big old liberal. Because you represented Al Gore, okay? But why does Ted Olson do this? He's a conservative. He represented Bush. But these are conservative values. Family values. These are the values. Family values. values. Gay people can't have families. Of course they have No, they families. can't. They hundreds, can't make hundreds, babies. Hundreds of, they hundreds, can't make babies. They have to of, buy ready-made. Hundreds of, <laughs> <laughs> some, Sometimes they're already prepared. Yeah. But um, hundreds of thousands of children are being raised by gay and lesbian couples today. Yes, and your opponents have a very strong argument is that we have to keep children away from ideas of sexuality and being raised by gay people introduces them to the idea of sexuality too early, all right? And I'm on board. I think that even babies are being born. We gotta blindfold them so they can't see their mother's vagina. <laughs> we gotta keep the kids safe. At least the boys. E either one, hey, yeah, that's yeah, how you get a lesbian. <laughs> Yeah, oh no, that's proven. So what do you say to that? Marriage is for procreation. Uh, well, there are several things. First, the Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court, yeah. says it's not. Uh, says that procreation is not the purpose of marriage. Liberty is the part, uh, purpose liberty. of marriage. Liberty. The, liberty. The, the, the Constitution liberty enshrines our liberty, sir. The, the li this is not constitutional. No. Because I agree with Scalia, for something to be constitutional, yes. the Founding Fathers have to intended it. Yes. And in the 18th century, there were no gay people. <laughs> yeah. But, no, they were called bandy leg jackanapes. But all of the Supreme Court, not just, not just the liberals, but all of the Supreme Court, all nine of them, have held that marriage is one of the most important rights that anybody has in this country. See, I'm an originalist. I'm an originalist. I'm sorry, call me, call me crazy, but I believe that marriage is to settle tribal feuds or to increase your land holdings. Right. You could have tribal feuds and land holdings among gay and lesbians people, too. You, you represent, you're representing two different couples, a, 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 a gay uh, couple, two men, and a lesbian couple, two women, each who, who want to get married, right? Correct? Each who want to get married to each, to each other. Exactly. But why not just have the men marry the women like this, uh, yeah, then right. they're married and no harm, no foul. Right. Well, you see that group marriages are illegal, too. But that's next. That's next. If we can have gay marriage, why can't I marry a snake? Well, 
Um, that would be your choice. But I mean, that would be I, my I, choice. I mean, but, would that be my liberty, I, 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 sir? Would I be at liberty but, to do that? But, but, Did I just beat a constitutional right. scholar? No, uh, perhaps. But the Constitution, the, the Supreme Court, says that two people, not four people, not three people, not a person a snake, not a person a horse, <laughs> two people have a right to get married, and they've held that for prisoners who can't even consummate a marriage, uh, can't, certainly can't uh, procreate, because they say the marriage relationship is so important to human dignity, human relationships, human fulfillment, that you shouldn't deprive even murderers who are going to be locked up for the rest of their life from the ability to marry somebody. Well, I, I find it offensive that you would call gay people murderers. I, well, I would be, yes, yes, yes. Even I am not that bad. Uh, Mr. Boyce, thank you thank so you, much you. for coming on. We gotta do good. Okay. David Boys arguing the case for gay In a ruling today from the Supreme Court came this reference to the First Amendment. This nation has chosen to protect even hurtful speech on public issues. The hurtful speech in question came from protesters at military funerals. Today, the Supreme Court ruled they cannot be sued for inflicting emotional distress on the family of a dead soldier. NPR's Nina Totenberg reports, and we should warn you, this story contains language that listeners may find offensive. When Lance Corporal Matthew Snyder was killed in Iraq, his funeral in Westminster, Maryland, drew thousands to pay their respects. But it also drew a protest from Pastor Fred Phelps and six other members of the Westboro Baptist Church based in Topeka, Kansas. Phelps and other church members have traveled the country for years, picketing at hundreds of military funerals, to communicate their belief that God hates the United States for its tolerance of homosexuality, particularly in the military. The picketers did not contend that Corporal Snyder was gay. Rather, as Pastor Phelps put it, When the whole country is given over to sodomy and to sodomite enablers, this country needs this preaching. And what's the purpose of it, you say? Because the Lord God told us to do it. The picketers followed their usual practice at the Snyder funeral. They alerted police and followed instructions to set up their protest on public property a thousand feet away from the church near the vehicle entrance. Though the protest was peaceful and ended before the funeral began, the picketers carried signs with messages offensive to many. Messages like, thank God for dead soldiers, fags doom nations, and America is doomed. Albert Snyder, the father of the dead soldier, did not see the signs until later when he viewed TV coverage, but he says the picketers turned his son's funeral into a circus. This was a funeral. I shouldn't have to look away from anything at my own child's funeral. He sued Pastor Phelps and his church for intentional infliction of emotional distress. These people targeted 
me and my family. I want to know how you would feel if somebody stood 30 feet away from the main vehicle entrance of a church when you're trying to bury your mother with a sign that says, thank God for dead sluts. You tell me that shouldn't be illegal. Is fag any worse than slut? You tell me that somebody has the right to do that. A jury agreed with Snyder and awarded him $5 million in damages. But today, the U.S. Supreme Court set aside that verdict by an 8-to-1 vote. Writing for the court majority, Chief Justice John Roberts said that as repugnant as many of the signs were to many people, they were still plainly related to public rather than private matters. The signs focused on issues of moral and political conduct in the United States. Westboro may have chosen to protest the funeral to gain publicity for his views, said the Chief Justice, and those views may be particularly hurtful to the dead soldier's father, but that does not mean the church members' right of free speech can be curtailed or punished. And punishment is what a jury award is, he noted, when it imposes a penalty for expressing a viewpoint that is unpopular. Speech is powerful, said the Chief Justice. It can move people to action, to tears of joy and sorrow, as it did here, and inflict great pain. But we cannot react to that pain by punishing the speaker, he said. As a nation, we have chosen a different course to protect even hurtful speech on public issues to ensure that we do not stifle public debate. Reaction to the decision was markedly muted, given the outrage voiced by veterans groups and politicians at the time the case was argued in the court. The Democratic and Republican leaders of the Senate and 40 other members of Congress filed a brief on Snyder's side, but today reaction on Capitol Hill was nowhere to be found except in a couple of written statements. Lawyer Gene Scher, who filed a brief in the case for the American Legion, said he was heartened by the fact that the court specifically mentioned that 43 states have enacted laws that put a buffer zone of 100 feet or more around funeral sites. That would not have affected the protest in this case, since protesters were a 1,000 feet away. Nonetheless, says Scher, It, I think, sends a clear signal to the lower courts that they should not interpret anything in this opinion as casting any doubt on any of those statutes. Today's 8-to-1 ruling may have surprised some people, but not First Amendment scholars, whether right or left. They note that today's ruling falls right in line with others protecting the rights of fringe groups, from Nazis marching in Skokie to flag burners at a Republican convention. University of Chicago law professor Jeffrey Stone notes today's case is in the tradition of protecting speech that often enrages. This case is a classic example of it. The real surprise is Justice Alito. Alito was the lone dissenter. He viewed the protester's speech as targeted at a private person, the father of the dead soldier. In order to have a society in which public issues can be openly and vigorously debated, Alito said, it is not necessary to allow the brutalization of innocent victims. Nina Totenberg, NPR News, Washington. Bad luck comes in from Tampa. Bad luck comes in from Tampa. On the back of a truck. 
As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. On through these first few desperate hours Back to the OkCupid online dating site. Four million searches. Almost no gay or lesbian men and women are actually searching for heterosexuals. There is a stereotype that if gay, uh, uh, the gay, uh, gay marriage is more accepted, all of a sudden we're going to have tons of attempts at conversions. You say it's just based on fear. Yeah, it's completely based on fear. The religious right has nothing substantial to oppose uh, gay and lesbian rights. On. So all that all they've got left is scaring people, and there's two ways to scare them. And one is to say, you know, if we're we're going to go after them and try to have sex with them in the shower, and the second one is to say they're going to we're going to try to recruit their children. Hmm. And I mean, it's it's patently absurd. It's it's just fear mongering and it's worse. It's disgusting. But um, you know, I and I think that. Um, I think also we have the, the problem of most uh, the most fervent opposition to gay rights are closet cases. We've seen this, you know, I mean, countless times. Uh, more recently, we've seen uh, George Reckers, right. one of the anti-gay scientists. One of my favorites, yeah. A, yeah, I mean, he was caught with a guy he meant on rentboy.com. <laughs> and this is just a, you know, and when, and, and, and when he decided to... Uh, you know, when, when he asked him, when he was asked why he had hired this young man with great pecs and abs... Uh, to uh, to why he hired him from Rent Boy, he said he only hired him to lift his luggage. So uh, you know, I, 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 it seems the most uh, homophobic people are homophobic himself. In fact, there was a study in 1986 by Dr. Henry Adams at University of Georgia uh, that uh, showed that the the more homophobic a person was, the more they were aroused by gay porn. Hmm. And and that's uh, that, that's incredible. I mean, we've had probably a, a number. I won't name names, but if you go back into our archives, a number of anti-gay homosexuals have absolutely been on our show. I think there's there's just it's just inevitable. We'll find out about it eventually. Kevin Gray from the Sacred Heart Church in Connecticut has been uh, arrested and charged with first-degree larceny after he stole $1.3 million from his church and spent it on male escorts and expensive hotels and dinners. Yeah, I'm not even sure that's a crime anymore. Um, so it gets worse. It does get worse. So uh, he did this... Uh, 
for several years, I think. Uh, yeah, over a period of years. Yeah, over a period of years. And uh, he would basically write checks to himself. His salary was supposed to be $28,000 a year. But he would write checks to himself, and he would uh, basically live a double life. He would go to New York. He'd meet up with male escorts. He would obviously stay at really nice restaurants, buy really uh, stay at nice hotels, right. buy really nice clothes. Mm -hmm. But I liked the the couple of things in the story. One, the image that he portrayed back home. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so let me tell you just how extreme his double lives were, okay? So in Connecticut, uh, you know, he pretended like he was this humble uh, reverend. He refused to drive a car. He would walk, he would walk from one church where he supposedly lived uh, to the other church where he was the reverend. Right, so he wouldn't spend money on cars so they could use that money for, like, the good of the right. church. Right. He also lied and said that he had cancer, and that's why he kept flying out to New York to get treatment. And... <laughs> I mean, this guy is such a clown, and it's so sad because these people really thought he was this great guy. Like, oh, look at him. Yeah. He's, he's spending his own money on the church and because he doesn't want to drive a car, and, and he does everything for us, and oh, how sad he has cancer. In the meantime, he's you know, flying out to New York and banging male escorts. <laughs> the, uh, and what I like is that some of the parishioners, like, they're still like, no, no, you don't understand. He didn't have a car. <laughs> like he walked, you don't understand. You missed it. But, but uh, I, there are parts of this guy I like one. So one guy who he met in Central Park, and he paid for the guy to go to Harvard. Uh huh. So I found out where some of the money went. He pays for the guy to go to Harvard. He bought him a piano and dogs. Right. He bought him dogs, and then he would always pay for the uh, veterinary bills. Yeah, yeah. He paid for the piano. He bought him a piano. And then, well, if I buy you the piano, I gotta give you lessons. If I buy you dogs, I gotta pay for the vet. So he buys him piano, dogs, vet lessons, piano lessons. Uh, and then the police were interviewing the guy, and the re and the pastor in New York, and the pastor shows up at the house. Right, right, yeah. Right as the police yeah. are interviewing uh, the guy yeah. that the priest is giving money and dogs to. Yeah, and he basically <laughs> says right then, "Oh yeah, yeah, I don't have cancer." You got me. Yeah, like, nah, I'm done. Like. As police interviewed the man, Gary arrived at his apartment. Gary admitted he was not an attorney and he did not have colon cancer. Yeah, he didn't pretend to be an attorney, so he admits, yeah, okay, I'm not an attorney. And then when police ask him how much did you take, he goes, yeah, about a million. Yeah, he's just totally like <laughs> turned nonchalant. Turned out it was 1.3 million. And then added, did you see why uh, he uh, didn't? Why uh, part? Why, first of all, he did this in part because he wanted to, as you say bang male escorts and wear nice clothes. But why he, he in part did this and what he had against the church? Um, police say Gray told him he grew to hate being a priest, mm -hmm. uh, upset with the archdiocese, <laughs> believed he was getting the worst church assignments. <laughs> uh, Waterbury, that, great, great, great. I'm going to steal $1.3 million now. Waterbury, beasts. <laughs> I always get the worst church assignments. <laughs> oh. Jesus frees out in the street, and in tickets out for gone. Turning back, she just laughs. Full of art is not that bad.
So Grant Storms is a Baptist minister, a pastor in New Orleans, and for years he's sort of been famous, infamous, for staging God Hates Fags style protests at Southern Decadence, which is a street party in New Orleans on Bourbon Street, uh, which is normally so placid and civil and respectable and not very decadent at all. Uh, but the gays take over Bourbon Street where, you know, you can take your grandmother and your children any other day of the year. The gays take over Bourbon Street for something called Southern Decadence. And it is a little decadent. It's a kind of like gay Mardi Gras street party. There are a lot of uh, rear ends showing instead of titties. And uh, Pastor Grant Storms would show up every year with a bullhorn and a broom and all of his followers and would scream, God hates fags and Leviticus this and Romans that at the homos uh, and just rail against the immorality of it all and the sexual depravity and blah, blah, blah. Can you guess what happens next? Can you guess where this is going? If you're a regular listener, you know what's coming next when I bring up an anti-gay, religious, bigot, psycho warrior. Reverend Grant Storm was arrested a couple of weeks ago sitting in a van at a playground masturbating while he watched children play. Now, he denies, in a press conference, denies that he was watching children while he masturbated, but doesn't deny that he was masturbating, parked at a playground. I can't think of a less sort of erotic place to go grind one out than a playground, but hey, that's me. I'm one of those depraved faggots, right, who doesn't think there's anything sexy about children or playgrounds or sippy cups. Call back to last week's show. But uh, Grant Storm's now says he has a pornography addiction. Blah, blah, blah. I'm so tired of people who get caught out being the perverts that they are after externalizing their internal dramas about their own sexual desires that they can't deal with and externalizing it and making enemies and demons out of other people, almost always gay people, then turning around and claiming, oh, I'm a victim, I have a pornography addiction. And now Pastor Grant Storms is saying what he really needs is the love and help and support of all of his other fellow pastors and conquering uh, the porn demon that has destroyed his life. So, what's the lesson here? It's the lesson we should always take away. Everybody who's out there screaming and yelling about other people's sex lives and how depraved and immoral other people are, they're next. They're the next Pastor Grant Storm. They're telling us, I am a basket case and a mess. I am externalizing my own internal drama. Every last Phelps is a mess like this. They're all going to come tumbling out. Tony Perkins, we have your number. Tony Perkins, Family Research Council, has to be. I think we can safely infer now after the wreckers and the haggards and the storms and all the rest that everybody who is out there waving a placard about how immoral other people are, who are just trying to enjoy themselves with other people who consensually wish to enjoy themselves with them, has issues. Don't know exactly what those issues are for Tony Perkins, but I know they're there. And one day he will come tumbling out like the rest of them.
This is the Onion News Network, an impenetrable barrier against deception. Standing by for embattled Mississippi Congressman Ronald North to address reporters any minute now. North, an extremely vocal opponent of gay marriage, drew fire during his 2010 re-election campaign for saying that the legalization of gay marriage would lead to man-horse marriages. In one instance, he told the New Haven Register, quote, It's a slippery slope. If we allow two men to marry, what's next? Men marrying horses? But yesterday, North found himself at the center of a media firestorm when the New York Times published photos of North on what appears to be romantic outings with a horse. Gathered during the Times' two-month investigation, the pictures show North in almost a dozen locations with the same three-year-old mare. A former aide interviewed by the Times said earlier this year he accidentally discovered links to numerous horse-related sites, including phillyfreaks.com and hothindquarters.com on North's work computer. The Times is accusing North of using federal funds to pay for luxurious trips, including a three-night stay at the high-end Sueños Stables in Catalonia, Spain, last month. North released a statement yesterday claiming he only spent time with the horse twice while conducting research for his anti-gay marriage project. But North's neighbors have questioned that. He bought her a top-of-the-line trailer. You don't do that for a horse you're just friends with. He told me he hired the horse to help him around the house. But I knew something weird was going on. It shouldn't take a horse five hours to clean a pool. You know what I mean? Thank God my husband, Thomas Finchin, is unfailingly loyal to me. A few weeks ago, Bishop Jim Swilly stood up in front of his congregation at the Church in the Now near Atlanta. It's one of the biggest churches in Georgia. He got up to get a few things off his chest. There are two things in my life that are an absolute. Um, I did not ask for either one of them. Both of them were imposed upon me. I had no control over either of them. One was the call of God on my life. The other thing, and I wouldn't have known what to call it at the time, was my sexual orientation. Jim Swilly, twice married father of four, a man who comes from a long line of evangelical preachers, the leader of a megachurch, revealed a secret he'd been holding on to most of his life. He's gay. And when I spoke to Bishop Swilly about why he decided to come out, he told me he was encouraged by his ex-wife. I told my ex-wife about my orientation before we got married, hmm. assuming that she would say, all right, well, let's just be friends. But she said, no, let's get married. We'll work it out. And to a degree, we did. Uh, I've had 21 years of a very prosperous life, have built a big ministry, raised great kids. But the trademark of our church is real people experiencing the real God in the real world. Hmm. It's a very unconventional church. Uh, I would like to say that I have never, ever once said anything derogatory about gay people or about the gay community. Uh, but I never thought that I would deal with it myself. As a matter of fact, I, I really thought that eventually it would just go away. When I say it, I mean the way that I think, the hmm. way that uh, I'm motivated. But close to two years ago, 
she came to me and she said, look, I, I love you and I'm never going to hurt you with this and uh, I've always got your back, but you and I both know that we don't have a conventional marriage. You tell everybody else to be real, but she said you don't allow yourself the same um, grace that you give everyone else. She said, I think you need to tell everybody what the truth is and let the chips fall where they will. And I said, look, I will never say those words you, out loud. You thought you would never do it? No, because I know the force of homophobia, especially in the church world and the South. But fast forward to um, a few weeks ago when there was such a spate of uh, teen suicides of um, young gay kids. And his name escapes me right now. But uh, Tyler Clementi? Yeah, the one that uh, jumped off the George Washington mm -hmm. Bridge. The, the reason that one sort of was the tipping point for me is because I, I would hear people nearly imply that he deserved it. You know, right. people would say, well, you know what, he shouldn't have been in an act of perversion, and so it's just as well. And, man, when I started hearing that, especially from people who profess to be Christ-like, I don't know, it was just something changed. And um, I thought, I, I'm going to tell my church, I'm going to tell them. Take a stand. I felt like with me not saying at least my little part of it, I end up being part of the problem. And so because of that, I didn't really overthink it. I just, we sent out an email blast and I said, I need everybody that is curious about what I need to talk about to show up tonight. And they did. Hmm. And I just told them. And um, here we are today as a result of that. How has a congregation been handling the news? The biggest issue I've had is with the other churches that uh, I cover as a bishop, and um, a good many of those disconnected from me immediately. But it must be must be painful that you know some of these churches that you've had this long-standing relationship with just um, stop returning your calls. Well, not only returning my calls, but you know when you've had relationship with somebody for thirty years and you've walked with them through thick and thin, and you've been there, and then you get like a a little two-line. Uh, letter that says to whom it may concern you are no longer wow. my bishop wow. that's like wow i mean how about even a phone call to say let me at least hear th this but but on the upside of that if i can try to see that glass half full i have had people in my church come to me and say you know if this had been anybody but you i would have just had a knee-jerk reaction and not even considered hearing you out but you've been my pastor for a quarter of a century i know you i remember all that we've been through i remember when you baptized me, dedicated my baby, married us, did my mother's funeral. So if you say that you are and that you believe you were born this way, then that changes everything. It makes me have to go back and rethink all of my prejudices. And so I'm gratified to hear that. You know, maybe at my age I, I can say some things I couldn't have said 20 years ago. Right. You you come from a long and distinguished line of, of famous Southern preachers. One of your kids said uh, Protestant royalty. That's where you come from. Um, did, did you feel like when you were growing up, did you feel like you were a sinner most of your life? I mean, as a kid, when you had certain thoughts, did you feel like, you know, th this isn't what you were being taught? Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, there's, this is, I'm going to tell you, this is one reason I really bristle at the phrase gay lifestyle, mm. because I know what it's like to try to change your mind, quote scripture, try to cast out demons that you think are in you, go through... And did you try you know, that all, when you were a kid? Oh my God, nothing I haven't tried. I learned early on in my relationship with God that it was not going anywhere. So 
not that I consider it necessarily a thorn in the flesh, as Paul called it, but Paul said that he had something, he prayed three times that God would take it away, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And so I just sort of left it at that. I thought, all right, this is my deal. I come from a very apocalyptic, end of the world, Jesus is coming back any moment kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, you know, I know this sounds crazy to people that weren't raised this way, but I really never thought long term. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I just thought, well, this is all going to be over with soon, and mm-hmm. we're all going to be out of here, and I'll go to heaven, and Jesus will fix me. <laughs> and then as as I got more educated and as my theology evolved, I really moved away from that paradigm, And which then, you know, I was faced with this problem, like, okay, I guess I'm going to live out my life, and uh, wow, I'm, I've found myself in a situation where I didn't intentionally mean to lie, but I'm living, I'm living a falsehood. Not like I'm living this life where I'm, you know, leaving my house and going out and finding men. That, that's never happened. I just wasn't real. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, to me, at this point in my age, this isn't about me even finding somebody. It's about just telling the truth about yourself and having that freedom. It must have been incredibly liberating to do that. You know, I, I told the church the other day, I've, I've never been a good sleeper. I don't know that I would call myself an insomniac, but I've... I'm just not a good sleeper. And man, that night, well, first of all, as soon as the service was over with, people lined up and they were, you know, hugging me and Mm. affirming me. Now, I would like to say that in the midst of the service, a lot of people got up and walked out. You know, it was like, it was like separating the sheep from the goats sort of thing. Like, okay, well, I'm going to see who I've got to work with here. And I went home and laid my head on the pillow and snored for eight hours. And I I, I woke up the next morning and said, oh, is this what the rest of the world feels like? This is what it feels like to be rested. Wow. I really should have looked into the sleep thing earlier. I'm speaking with Bishop Jim Swilly. He's the leader of the Church in the Now near Atlanta. It's one of the largest churches in Georgia on his recent decision to come out to his congregation. Do you think that the way you will lead the church and the way you will preach will change? I, I know you don't want to be known as, as, as a gay bishop with a gay church. I mean, will things change? I can't imagine that it would change that dramatically because I have I have preached inclusion and I don't have to go back now and say, hey, all that bad stuff I said about gay people, I take it back. The one thing that I, I think some people from my sort of background are concerned about, they say, well, you know, I can accept the fact maybe that you were born that way, but you're going to have to live a celibate life and you're going to have to be alone. You can't ever act on it. Here's my take on that. When people say, you know, you've made it okay to be gay now, I think, look, people are gay whether i say they're okay or not there's no you know like straight people aren't turning gay there's no there's no weird phenomena that's going on i think some evangelicals think that they think that there's this thing going on like a sign of the times the last days that straight men are turning gay and i'm like no let me tell you something heterosexuality is doing just fine it's not going anywhere there's no gay agenda nobody's trying to get your children they're not trying to take over the world just you know settle down but when people say well you you know you got to tell people that they can't have sex because any sex outside of marriage is fornication to which i say all right, well, then let people get ma- gay people get married. <laughs> oh, no, 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 they can't get married. Like, okay, well, you're not leaving people a lot of alternative. But as a pastor and as a bishop, my responsibility is not to get all in people's personal lives. You know, Paul said this, this one thing that I wish every Christian church would just put this on their letterhead. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, your relationship with God is not my relationship with God. And frankly, it's none of my business. So my responsibility is just to preach the gospel and let the gospel do its work. Trust the gospel. Don't worry about it. Um, Bishop, I know that uh, gay marriage is not legal in Georgia, mm-hmm. but if, if a gay couple asked you to marry them, um, w- would you do it? Well, you're the first one to ask me that. Um, 
You know, I'm going to have to cross that bridge when I get there. I did tell my church, this is months ago, I was talking about if you're going to be for or against something, at least know why. And I said, take gay marriage, for example. At this point, I'm not really sure what I think about it. This is what I said a few months ago. But I said, uh, if you're going to say that marriage should only be between a man and a woman because marriage is for procreation, I'm going to have to challenge that because most of the couples I marry these days, it's their second or third marriage. They're not planning on having children. If I was going to follow that logic, I would have to do a fertility test on any two people that wanted to get married to make sure they were capable of having children. At the time, I was just really thinking that maybe civil union is the way to go. But someone told me the other day that there's so many more rights that are uh, accessible to married people than are with uh, civil unions. So, um, you know, I, I guess I'm having to rethink that. No one has asked me yet. And, uh, you know, I can hide behind the illegality of it and say, well, it's, you know, I, I can't perform something that's not really legal. But, you know, it would be um, hypocritical of me to say, yeah, I'm gay, but I'm not going to support gay marriage. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm, look, this is all, saying these things out loud is all new for me. I, this mm. has all been inside my head for years. So there are certain things I'm having to even decide, well, what's my policy on this now? Because I never even had to think about what I thought about it. I guess, you know, I'll just have to see what happens when somebody asks me. Mm. Uh, Bishop Swilly, there's another uh, secret about you uh, that we, oh. we actually plan to expose here on this program. And here it is. <laughs> is that my son Jared? Uh, this is the, the punk band Black Lips with their song Bad Kids, and that's your son, uh, Jared, uh, on, on lead vocals. How cool is that? I mean, you're an evangelical preacher. Your son's in a pretty hipster band that's getting a lot of attention. That's, that's cool. My son Jared has been such a blessing to me lately, and he, you know, he's on tour. He's out in Europe most of the time, and he's gone and... Uh, after I initially told the other three kids, I thought, man, this isn't good that he doesn't know this. So I called him one night. He was at the Paris airport. And I said, I've got, if you got a few minutes, I got to talk to you. And he, he said, yeah, what is it? And I was, you know, I was talking all around it, didn't know how to say it. And finally he stopped me. He said, dad, are you trying to tell me you're gay? And I said, well, yeah. And man, in his, he's 27 and in his life, he has never talked to me this way. It was like, oh my God, you're my hero. I love you so much. Nothing could ever change that. And uh, he has just been uh, uh, incredibly supportive. And um, how did you know about that? <laughs> Investigative reporting. We got some good investigators here <laughs> on the staff. And I have to say, you know, unconventional as he is, uh, you know, he's my beloved son. He's awesome. That's Bishop Jim Swilly. He's the head of the church in the now near Atlanta. Bishop, thank you so much. Thank you so much, guy. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as five $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com.
Anyway, I wanted to say a couple of words about uh, the Boeing conference. I was a little disappointed, as uh, was reported here or there. I wasn't um, dissatisfied or angry about the conference. I thought a lot of really good and relevant points were covered. What distressed me and what I thought was a little off-key was uh, the constant hammering away. Uh, this uh, will be more relevant to people who followed the anti-bullying conference. Well, what happened was they kept talking about parents being distressed uh, when their children are bullied, what can parents do, how do parents address this, how do parents help their children. And then toward the end of the day, it was parents and faith leaders, parents and faith leaders, parents and faith leaders. And what do they do uh, when their children are bullied? And what wasn't acknowledged uh, was that 50% of the bullying that goes on, according to studies, is anti-gay bullying in schools. And parents and faith leaders in the lives of way too many gay, lesbian, bi, trans kids are not distressed by the bullying. They are actually active participants in the bullying. And that was never acknowledged or talked about. And you really can't tackle the problem of anti-gay bullying if you're not willing to tackle that. And it was a little disappointing because the president in his It Gets Better video really did kind of address that. He looked at gay kids and he said, there is nothing wrong with you. And by implication, the president is saying there's something wrong with the people who are telling you there's something wrong with you and that could include your parents. And also later in his video, he said to LGBT kids who were being bullied or made to feel that there was something wrong with them, to look around in their lives for adults who could support them, and that might be your parents, he said, which acknowledges that it might not be your parents. Uh, and in the case of many LGBT kids out there, it isn't their parents. So it was a little weird that the president's video for It Gets Better, produced last year, was a little bit smarter uh, on the issue of anti-gay bullying than the president's anti-bullying conference managed to be. That said... It was important that they held the conference. I spoke to folks who know what they're talking about, observers. Uh, I've never been to the White House. I've never had any interaction with an administration before, uh, except for threatening Bill Clinton's life in 1992, which is a really long story. We're not going to get into it. Uh, and at that time, I had an interaction with the Secret Service. Again, a really long story about Don't Ask, Don't Tell, actually. But we're going to leave that aside. But I spoke to some people who know what they're talking about, who know how Washington works, and they assured me that what was said at the conference wasn't as important as the existence of the conference because the president and the first lady, from the top all the way to the bottom administration, there were cabinet secretaries there, very important people who took part in the conference. What they were communicating was this is an issue the president gives a shit about. This is a priority bullying, including anti-gay bullying, and it must be addressed. And that's, you know, that's saying something. Anti-gay bullying, 50% of the bullying in the schools. Kids who are bullied because they're uh, gay, lesbian, bi, trans, four times likelier to attempt suicide, eight times likelier if their families are rejecting or bullying them as well. And of the 67 anti-bullying programs that are offered to schools, anti-bullying training programs, uh, curricula for the kids... Out of that 67 I learned at the conference, only five address anti-gay bullying, despite the fact that anti-gay bullying is 50% half of the problem. Only five. So what the president and the first lady and the administration did at the anti-bullying conference was communicate to all levels, of th to everyone who works for and answers to the president, to the ex entire executive branch, don't fuck this issue up, the bullying issue. Whoever's being bullied, including gay kids being bullied. That's real progress. 
to go to a conference at the White House to hear the president say anti-gay bullying is something he gives a shit about and wants to see changed. The first lady, cabinet secretaries, and that message was communicated. Even if uh, you were there participating as I was or perhaps watching at home, even if you were a little dissatisfied with the ways in which the messages were hammered home or some things, uh, there were blind spots or missed opportunities. Uh, it is tremendous progress uh, and good will uh, be done and accomplished because of the White House's anti-bullying conference. And not to give a blowjob to myself or a blowjob to all of you out there listening, although I would love to be able to do that. Um, I have to be some sort of hydra-headed blowjob monster to blow all of you at once. But I think that one of the reasons this anti-bullying conference happened was because of the It Gets Better project. And the It Gets Better project happened not because of me and Terry, but because of all of you out there who spread the word, who made videos, who created the critical mass of involvement and people giving a shittedness that spurred the White House and other politicians uh, to action to take this seriously because of the groundswell, um, which the first folks who helped get that groundswell going savage love podcast listeners in my We have had a long-standing ban on Ann Coulter. Uh, now, we've only had two bans in the history of TYT. One was disastrous. Uh, we'll keep it real with you guys. Uh, that was on Glenn Beck. Totally didn't stick. <laughs> okay. But the other one was on Ann Coulter, and it totally did stick. Uh, we haven't done a single story. There were some outrageous stories, and we just absolutely refused to cover. Now, I'm making an exception today because she has personally attacked me. So that's fun for everybody. And it is in regards to uh, Chris Barron, uh, the chairman of Go Proud, uh, that is a GOP organization, uh, conservative Republicans who are gay and think the Republican Party is on their side. Well, I interviewed him on MSNBC, and you could watch that interview uh, on YouTube. We have it up for you guys. And uh, I thought that it was uh, very obvious uh, where the facts were, right? For example, I asked them, hey, uh, how do you feel about don't ask, don't tell uh, that the Republicans were not on your side? Uh, how do you feel that the, the Republicans uh, not only voted overwhelmingly against that, but that they ran their 2004 and 2006 campaigns against gays in particular? They bragged about it. They were proud about it. Uh, so I thought it was pretty clear. Uh, but uh, what's funny is the right wing has thought it's clear as well, but on the other side. They, they're convinced that, oh, man, did he win that argument. He got him, man. He said he was in favor of the Republicans, even though he's gay, and we hate him, but he was still on our side. He was an awesome sellout. I mean, he was, uh, yeah, yeah. Jenk is the intolerant one. That's what it is. And Ann Coulter tweeted today. She had a link to the interview, and she said, great video. Why, thank you, Ann. Uh, head of GoProud interviewed by retarded person on MSNBC. All right, fun for everybody. 
Okay. I thought that Sarah Palin had banned that word. Are, so are Palin and Coulter going to go to war over this? Who knows? Who cares? All right. Now let's try to figure out who's right and who's wrong or who's the R word or not. Okay. So uh, I pressed them on uh, this interview several times. I said, look, Chris, like I said, 04, 06, the whole campaign, Karl Rove and, and other Republicans bragged. They said, hey, look, you know what? We've got all these local initiatives throughout the country to get people to show up to vote against gays, and then they would vote for Republicans, and then George Bush would win, and it worked in 2004. So we did it again in 2006 in the local congressional and Senate elections. They ran the campaign against you. He's like, no, 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 Republicans are the good guys. All right, so where's the evidence, right? Uh, and I said to, he said, oh, no, they, I'm a believer in the conservative ideology of economics and taxes and stuff. Look, you can be greedy and be gay at the same time. Sure, you want lower taxes if you're rich. I got it, right? And I said during the interview, I said, look, of course you don't have to have, that's irrational to say just because you're gay that you have certain ideological positions on the economy or, or war or anything else. You could be gay in favor of killing people senselessly in Iraq as well. It's not a good idea, but you can be, right? But that isn't the issue. And you could be conservative all you like. You just, being Republican doesn't make any sense. The only time that Chris had any fact was when I said to him, hey, listen, overwhelming majority of the Republicans voted against repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Only 15 Republicans voted in favor in the House. Hundreds voted against it, okay, over 100. Uh, in the Senate, only eight Republicans voted for the repeal. All the rest, the great majority, over 75%, voted in the other direction, right? He said, yeah but they couldn't have passed it without Republican votes. All right, now let's analyze that for a second. One, they couldn't have passed it without Republican votes. So if a single Republican votes for it, uh, the Republican Party is just as friendly to gays, if not more friendly, than the Democrats who almost all voted for it. Well, that defies any logic. I mean, you would have to be, what, what word would you have to be to believe that? Second of all, it is factually incorrect. The only reason that they needed any Republican votes is because the Republican Party was filibustering it. If the Republican Party didn't filibuster it, then they could have passed with only Democratic votes. They didn't need a single Republican vote. So according to conservative logic, gays should be for the Republican Party. Since the Republican Party filibustered the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and you needed some Republican votes to pass it because of the Republican filibuster. What would you have to be to believe that? I'll let you fill in the blank. And you watch the video for yourself, man. You watch the interview. It's not that long, five minutes or something. And you tell me. Some people thought I was too harsh on him. I look back on it. I thought I should have been harsher. I, I can't wait to interview him again. Okay. He has zero facts on his side. You can be a conservative on all those other issues. But if you vote for a party that hates you, that runs campaigns on hating you, then you are being enormously foolish. So, by the way, here's a perfect example. There's a million right-wing blogs now that are so happy that they're like, oh my God, we got a gay guy to defend us, yes! And uh, this one that actually Ann Coulter linked to is called The Right Scoop, and it is filled with irony. So they say, oh, I was proud to be in Barron's Corner. You see, conservatives are much more tolerant than our liberals. <laughs> All right, so uh, as he says that in the same tiny short blog, he also says, while I disagree with Barron's lifestyle choice, Chris, he doesn't like you. He doesn't agree with your lifestyle choice. That's your existence. 
He doesn't believe you, could, you should be able to love whoever you want to love, marry whoever you want to marry. He doesn't believe you should be able to have certain jobs. And then ironically claims that he is more tolerant than us. We're sitting here killing ourselves defending you. And then, as if that weren't enough, he said again, second time in this tiny blog, I disagree with their lifestyle choice and perhaps their gay agenda. And those are the guys that claim to be on your side, Chris. What do you have to be to believe that? And then at the end, they're like, oh, yeah, well, Chris got jank. Showed them conservatives are much more tolerant, even though we hate their goddamn lifestyle and their gay agenda. What? Did I say that out loud? <laughs> Some people, they just don't give a damn about logic. They just don't care. They're like, yeah, all right, Republicans keep voting against us. I love them. All right. Well, go to bed with those guys. See how it turns out for you. I already know how it turned out for you. Pretty disastrous. from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I was calling in because uh, I feel pretty strongly uh, about some of the voicemails and the discussion that's been going on recently. You know, I'm someone who is uh, really interested in the law, and I gained that interest uh, uh, by being incarcerated. And um, that interest in the law has really changed my life, and I made bad decisions, and I spent three and a half years in the PA DOC, and, uh, you know, it really changed my life. And, and I think that uh, all these comments about Mumia are, are, it's crazy to hear because he is a really intelligent guy. And yes, unfortunately, you know, he, he was tried and convicted of murder of a police officer. And there's a lot of debate around whether he did or didn't do it. And I will tell you from personal experience with helping other guys, you know, in the DOC with their legal work and stuff, that it's, uh, you know, the, especially in Philadelphia, in Philadelphia, it's really, it's really a crazy spot. I mean, it is not above the police there to frame people and act deceptively and do all sorts of things that that you know are are illegal. And yet they they lock people up all the time. And if you're not from that area, you can't even begin to understand what's going on there. Um, you know, it's it's really bad down there <clears throat> as far as that stuff police corruption and government official corruption and it's really crazy and i mean i think people need to take that into account um especially the things that mumia stood for prior to this incident you know i don't know whether he's guilty or not but if you put that issue aside for a second it goes to the core of people having a problem with inmates and people fuck up that's the bottom line and you know to think that people can never be changed I think is really counterproductive and uh, to, to never ever listen to them or give them a voice in any way is just ridiculous. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I just, I think that this throwing people in jail and forgetting about them is totally absurd and we really need to fix our broken prison system. And that's why I loved your episode about prisons because uh, a lot of that stuff is really true and the system's broken and I know from being in it. I changed myself in prison. You know, they didn't change me. When I realized what was really going on there, I took it upon myself to go above and beyond. And, uh, you know, as a result of my studying the law and learning it, I was able to help my own case and get my sentence reduced. 
And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I totally admit my guilt, but, you know, throwing me away with a mandatory minimum and just, you know, not giving any programs or any second chance for the future is just totally ridiculous. And uh, I really wish people would listen to his words and not think about the fact that he's in prison because we need to change our perspective on prisoners in this country. All right, thanks. Love the show. See ya. Hi, Jay. This is Martina Myers from Las Cruces, New Mexico. Um, I just joined at the so-called socialist level. I'd prefer to call it the anarchist level, but then it wouldn't be organized enough for me to do it online. And I am organizing college campuses for the American Association of University Professors. Love what you do and keep doing it. The union work was really important. Uh, mainstream media isn't giving us all of the information, but what's new about that? With your webcast, I can get a lot of information that I don't have the time to collect on my own from some of my favorite sites. So while I've heard some of it before, I do Rachel Maddow daily. Sometimes I catch up on John Stewart. Getting all of the rest of the information on any given subject is just really important and helps me get to sleep at night. Thanks a lot. Keep doing the good work. Oh, and by the way, I pay my taxes so that with a tithe from my tax contribution, which is more well spent than on anything that the government chooses to put into military and bombs. So thanks so much for your efforts. This hasn't been on the short side, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Take care. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called in the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. Today, I really just want to follow up on a couple of things I've mentioned already. Power Shift 2011 is coming up very quickly. It's happening in Washington, D.C., April 15th through the 18th. It is basically the nation's largest youth-oriented, although not, uh, not confined to the youth, conference on climate change. It um, is awesome. They've always, you know, I, I went to the last two. They're fantastic. I highly recommend you guys check it out. Uh, so if you have any interest in climate change in general, uh, really at least check out powershift2011.org and uh, see what that's all about. And if you can make it, do it. Secondly, please continue to check out the new video version of the show. If you have any interest whatsoever, or at least just to quench your curiosity as to what it's all about, Go to bestoftheleft.com, check out the show notes for this episode or any of the past episodes, future episodes, and and see uh, you know links to the videos associated with these uh, you know the acts in each of these episodes or the video player right in the show notes there. Check it out, give feedback, thoughts, suggestions, anything you uh, you know have to say about it. I'm basically making this up as I go, um, you know things seem to be okay. Like it seems to be a pretty okay system. If you like it, let me know. If you don't like it, let me know. If you think you could make it better or have a suggestion, definitely let me know. And, uh, you know, otherwise just think about how you might be able to use it. If, you know, as long as I'm doing the work, I would love for people to actually get use out of it. So, uh, if you are, the, you know, we, we had a, a person call in saying that their Facebook activism was about to go through the roof because now he has these, uh, these videos that he can link to really easily on Facebook. 
So if you're the type of person who do that sort of thing, put some thought into using these clips, uh, you know, if it fits into your routine. So that's about it. I'm just going to thank a couple of members. Julie C signed up for a leftist membership, paid for a full year in advance back on June 9th. So huge thanks to Julie. And John G signed up uh, on September 19th with a monthly membership. And he went a little bit above and beyond the normal call of duty and signed up for a socialist membership just to help the show a little bit more. So definitely huge thanks to John, Julie, and all of the members and donors who make the show possible. I couldn't do it without you guys. And, uh, you know, I, I... talk myself hoarse sometimes uh, talking about how much I appreciate the support you give me. So uh, so obviously, huge thanks to everyone. Everyone can support the show in totally non-financial ways, of course. Uh, the best way to do it, just tell everyone you know about it. Spreading the word is easily the, the number one way to, to grow independent media sources like this, you know, no budget for advertising whatsoever. And, uh, you know, word of mouth is going to be the most effective way to get people to come check out the show anyways. So please do that. Keep it up. It really does help. Of course, you can stay tuned into the show between episodes on Facebook and Twitter, as well as helping to spread the word online about the show that way. For details about the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 11 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought lines black and white, Oh, oh, oh. We'll take you out